just to start, uh, can you tell me, just describe yourself a little bit and your path to Homer and also your historical writing? Um, well, my path to Homer was right out of college. Um, I came to Alaska to be a, to start my journalism career, and it became my entire journalism career. But I, I had interviewed at the Anchorage and Fairbanks papers, and I wandered down to Homer to see my friends Nancy Lord and Ken Kastner, and they wrapped me into the Homer News. And so um, in the late 70s, I was the Homer News editor. Um, and uh, only in the 80s did I move up to Anchorage to work for the Anchorage Daily News. And, and then in 1989, I got the best of both worlds. I was the Homer Bureau for the Anchorage Daily News. And, and I did that until I um, got a buyout from the paper in 2009. And so when and why did you start doing historical writing? Um, you know, I, I, I think when I, one of the things that made Alaska really exciting to me right out of college where I was kind of an American studies, um, you know, history and American literature type major. Um, and the thing that was exciting about Alaska was that everything was so new and, and fresh and all these big decisions were being made that had been made in other states. It seemed like if I was a reporter in another state, I would be in a pack of journalists, you know, trying to um, cover some incremental um, decision. And up here, these huge decisions were being made and there were no other reporters around to write about it. So I really felt like it was a historical moment that I was writing about. And it was, it was with a kind of sense of the sweep of history that I was watching you know, land, native land claims and building the pipeline and creating all the, the national parks up here, all those things that were happening in the 70s when I got here. It was really exciting time, creating the permanent fund, the limited entry, huge decisions, and, and um, it felt like history was being shaped. And so, you know, there's that cliche about journalism that it's the first rough draft of history, but I really felt like I was writing about history. I was almost writing as a historian or providing information to future historians. Um, so I always had that interest. Um, and, and then over time, um, as I began to realize, even though it's a new state, it has a rich and deep past. Um, and I would find stories within that, that past to, um, to, to start telling. And so I was just looking, as I looked around for good stories to tell, some of them were in the past and those were the ones I I uh, enjoyed digging out and had the indulgence of the newspapers to, to let, me, let me do that. So you just received this 2022 Historian of the Year Award from the Alaska Historical Society. Why did you receive this award? Tell me a little bit about Cold Mountain Path and also your kind of Alaska journalism that led to this moment. Okay. Um, well, you know, my... my uh, previous book was the one about the Pilgrim family, Pilgrim's Wilderness, and it was set in McCarthy in the early years of this century. Um, and I had included a couple of uh, chapters about how we got to that point in McCarthy, kind of the ghost town decades um, in that in my first draft of that book. And my editor in New York thought that it was slowing down the momentum of the family story, which was kind of a page turner. And so um, they had me boil that down to a page or two. Um, and I, so I pulled that information out. I, I kind of 
wanted to find a home for it. And when I read it from that um, chapter, the, the deleted chapters out in McCarthy, when I had a public reading, everyone wanted to know more. So I set out to do a, a second book just about those ghost town years. Um, and that was the origins of the Cold Mountain Path project. Um, and uh, got to be a bigger project than I expected. But it was, you know, a local history, but it was a, a locality that had all these sort of mythic overtones. And so I tried to get some of that in the, in the book as well. Um, and uh, it's just, it's been really great. You know, we just published it last year. It was published by Porphyry Press, um, in, which is an Alaska publisher um, who was just getting started out, out, out there. And um, the reception's been great. And, and I think it just kind of, the book seemed to capture for people something about the old Alaska that's passing in our own memory. Um, and it was um, the reason I was one of the reasons I was drawn to the story was because it was recent enough history that I could still interview people and sort of use my journalistic techniques to write about history. Um, I didn't have the secondary sources uh, that one usually has. I was kind of digging it all up myself. That was great, great fun and a great challenge. Um, I had done some other big history projects for for the newspapers. Um, several come to mind, um, and I, you know, they kind of cited it in general. Um, one was the one that was just recently republished, you could say, online or given new attention. Um, was about that uh, effort, the failed effort to bring Jewish refugees from Germany to Alaska before World War II um, and sort of connected to um, the recent Ken Burns documentary about the U.S. and the Holocaust. Um, ADN, Anchorage Daily News, uh, fired that one up again and put it out so people could read that. Um, and uh, then there was, or before that, there was also a long piece that I did and I talked to Sabine about, um, about the history of the Kenaitse. Um That was back in... Um, 1991, when the city of Kenai was holding its bicentennial um, celebration, and the people who were organizing that were tending to look at it as, yes, we've been, you know, here for 200 years. It's a spe spectacular history for Alaska. But I kind of turned it inside out and told the story of those 200 years from the perspective of the people who were, you know, standing on the beach when the first uh, ship came in. And in that case, I was able to um, trace the uh, generations by generation of two Denaina families. And that one, um, uh, that series was called The Invisible People. And I think it later inspired the Anchorage Museum's um, show of that name. And so that one um, was, you know, it came up to the present and had a lot of uh, significant in the presence to understand how we got to where we are. But um, but it was really digging the past and telling, telling these family stories. Um, and uh, the, the other one that came to mind is, as I was thinking about this was the series I did for the, the Homer News in the early 80s about the head of the bay. It was a four-part series um, that really um, kind of dug into the, uh, in, the cowboying, but also the, the kind of mystics who were finding finding sort of mysterious forces at work in that country up there in the Fox River Valley and 
And then I talked about the different sort of cultish groups that had been up there, the Barefooters and Krishnaventa and, and the Unimoggers and the Love Family. And so I kind of pulled all those stories together. That was just as the old believers were starting to move up there. So it was really telling the story of, of the, the valley, um, which was kind of the, the mystical focus of Kachemak Bay in those days. So um, that was also another historical project. And in that case, I got paid um, by, with a, um, a uh, wood stove, new wood stove from Inlet Trading Post, um, which is now the Bunnell Street Gallery. And they owed um, Tom Gibney some money for advertising. So it was a nice three-way trade. Um, I think the statute of limitations is over on that as far as the IRS. At least I hope so. If not, you can um, edit this out of our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so you touched on this, but uh, the focus of a lot of your writing, especially in your books, is on this area of McCarthy. I mean, what fascinates you or inspires you about this place? Um, well, you know, I have a cabin out there, and so I've been going out there for a long time and, and have a lot of connections, so that was one thing. Um, but I think it was um, the fact that it was so isolated, um, and yet it was kind of an early development for Alaska in the you know teens and 20s. And so then when it went into being a ghost town at, during, in the Great Depression, through the 40s and 50s and into the 70s you had this kind of island of old alaska that survived into the pipeline era um because it was so isolated i think you know you could sort of i've heard it described too that like out in the the yk delta the yupik culture um the language had survived so much longer than and, and so it was so much healthier than a lot of other places and rural Alaska because the area was kind of overlooked by history for a while and there was no great sort of resource rush out there um, that brought in a lot of outsiders and and uh, uh, you know so there was same was kind of true of this this ghost town so it it had um, this the the old um, the old ways were uh, you know hanging on in into a time when I could interview people about them so so it was appealing in that way, too. And, you know, the Wrangell Mountains themselves are, you know, one of the great spectacular um, uh, locations in Alaska. And um, they kind of just add this uh, sort of Lord of the Rings aura about everything out there. You know, it's just everything is kind of bigger and, and stranger. Um, so um, so that, the challenge with the book with this, this last book was when you write a local history book, it tends to go in a lot of directions because you feel like you want to put everything into it. And um, as a reporter, I always liked finding books about the places I was writing about that were like that. And I could sort of pick and choose and tell stories out of the past um, using the expertise of the local historians who had done, you know, unearthed all these these great anecdotes from the past, but those books tend to have a kind of scattershot quality. And so they don't necessarily make a great story themselves, the kind of book that you would be drawn into reading if you didn't already, 
care or know about the place or we're trying to find find out more about it. So that was the challenge was to sort of find a, a narrative line and a story to tell about the place that wasn't um, just kind of wandering this way and that. And, um, and, you know, I kind of ended up compromising, I think, um, on, uh, with, with Cold Mountain Path. It, it has the, uh, it has a, a you know, a, a kind of forward momentum, nothing like the, the pilgrim, you know, will the children escape from Papa Pilgrim story, but, um, but it has that forward momentum, um, in through time and certain characters that were recurring and kind of carrying the story along. And, but, but I also indulged the, the, you know, following some, some of the more interesting rabbit trails too. Um, so I think that's why it was published. We decided to publish it in Alaska and not try to push for a, another book out of the New York publishing world. Um, that was, you know, they would want uh, more of a compelling um, story, you know, maybe one that was built around the mass murder out there and just didn't want to do a book that was was solely structured around that. It obviously plays a big role in the ghost town um, story because that whole episode of 1983 when six people were killed was kind of the, the, um, kind of the, the conclusion of that period because the park and the new tourism era followed right on the heels of that event. Um, so it has that kind of gravitational pull that was trying to pull my story into being about that alone. And, and I had to resist that as a, as a writer. And that was the history that, that people have responded to. I think, it, you know, the other thing about the area is that <clears throat> there was a lot churning in Alaska in, in the wider um, world of Alaska. And and it was really interesting to see how it would impinge on on the Chitna River Valley. Um, you know, you'd have uh, the land claims, and, and suddenly you'd have sort of a native interest on something going on, or the the fight over national parks that was going on um, across the state was happening very much in McCarthy because of the creation of Wrangell St. Elias National Park. This was the only only village inside what was about to become the biggest national park in North America. And um, so, you know, it, it kind of brought that story to life in a way and brought it, you know, grounded it in a, in a particular community. And so I think that's one of the reasons people have, have um, responded to the book is they could sort of, they could relate to what was going on out there to, to the bigger, bigger trends of what was happening in Alaska. And, and I like hearing you talk a little bit about your work as a reporter because I, I mean you're such a figure in this state your journalism spans nearly five decades at this point I mean <laughs> how does your work as a reporter as a journalist inform this historical writing I know you touched on this but yeah how does it inform it I don't know I, I think one one way is that um, I had developed as a journalist a uh, a sense of storytelling and trying to find um, stories that would have a kind of, you know, their own page turning drama, or at least stories that would carry you down the column inch of the newspaper page. Um, and um, I wanted uh, to then take that storytelling quality and 
apply it to to to, to the history, um, you know, so kind of a narrative history as opposed to something that was sort of a dry collection of of facts. Um, and so I think that was good training for being a, a histor- historian, quote, unquote. I still feel like a journalist. I guess it's just when you're in such a young state, you can journalist becomes a historian. And how many books have you written at this point, actually? Oh, three books. Um, the first one was based, was about rural Alaska, was the wake of the unseen object. And that was based on travels I did in the 1980s in in the bush um, for the Anchorage Daily News. And, and there was a lot of history in that um, because I took just certain of the trips that I had done and encounters I had and um, turned them into chapters about the place where I visited. And, and then really in the writing of the book, I had, I had to go back and flesh out the stories, which I had imposed on myself that the discipline of writing really short stories on that trip, um, nothing long and, you know, thumb suckers, like they say, you know, um, <clears throat> big, big feature stories that you read on a Sunday. I didn't want it to be like that. But but then when you're writing a book and you want to make a whole chapter about this, you know, part of the Seward Peninsula or, or you know, a river on the interior, you find out the history of the place and, and you flesh it out, you know, fill that fill in the, the gaps um, between the, the stories that I wrote. So so there was a lot of history that then went into that book. And then there was the, the Pilgrim Family book, The Pilgrim's Wilderness, which came um, just at the end of my newspaper, and, and I had covered that for the paper. And, and then Cold Mountain Path is kind of the um, spinoff of that. And so you have nearly five decades of being a journalist in this state. You've written three books. You've now received the Historian of the Year Award. Um, what's next for you? <laughs> um, uh what does it all mean? I don't know. Um, I've got a lot of things I want to write. And so uh, a lot of things that I still want to write and I'll do the best I can to get those things done. Um, but, um, I don't have any grand plan at this point. Um, you know, I think when I came up here, um, to work at the Homer news, I thought I was going to be going to write the great American novel. Um, and, uh, don't feel a great compulsion to attempt that at this point, but maybe I'll surprise everybody or surprise myself and head in that direction. Um, still have lots of time, so um, uh, and and feel just kind of pulled in a lot of writing directions. It's really fun. I wish wish I had this confidence and comfort with what I'm doing when I was in my twenties because it would have been really fun to charge forward with with this with with the experience that I have now. I guess that's something we learn with age. <laughs> I guess you can't have it all, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, I'm not, you know, I I enjoyed making mistakes too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were learning from my mistakes. I guess you got to do that. Well, Tom, is there anything else that I should have asked you or you'd like to share? Well, no. I mean, I, 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 I'm, 
I, I, I don't want it to sound like a, a swan song kind of uh, moment. I'm just uh, plunging forward. You know, it was um, a big decision to make this my career, you know, um, make Alaska my my career. Um, and uh, I'm really happy that I did. Um, I think the the history of Kachemak Bay has always been engrossing, but it's was fairly recent history even for Alaska, and um, and it was good to get to Anchorage for a while and and to um, work out of there and to really get more of a statewide perspective, and then to be able to come back to Homer and bring bring that larger perspective back. Um, so I'm just lucky the way it worked out for me. And and how old were you when you came here? Uh, 23 when I got to to Homer. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks yeah, so much. Wide-eyed and excited. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the unexpected. I because I really had not ever envisioned my life being a small town. You know, living in a small town. But um, Homer is a very big, small town. <laughs>